So my wife's gone, so I'm going to say whatever I want today. Um, we were there, and uh, so I went out to lunch, and there's this place called Clanton's, which is like this really famous little restaurant in this cow town. So we go out there, and uh, so for lunch, uh, one of the things that I had was calf fries. And uh, so if you don't know what that is, I ain't explaining it uh, right now. If you do, you know, of course, that it is the breakfast of champions. So um, anyway, if y'all can look it up later. So we had some, had some great food out there, a lot of fun. But I am glad to be back in South Carolina. And so uh, while, we're, uh, while we're waiting for me to actually start saying something hopefully important, uh, you can take your Bible, and we're going to look in 2 Samuel today, chapter 11, verse number 1. And today we're starting a new series of messages entitled Breaking Bad. Now, some of you might be familiar with this. You might know that this is actually a fairly popular television show. I am not recommending it. I'm just, I'm just telling you it's a show on TV, but I was kind of inspired by it. Uh, just to give you a little information about the show, uh, it's a story about a chemistry, high school chemistry teacher, and just a lot of, of bad things begin to happen in his life. A uh, real nice guy, and he has a, uh, has a 16 year or 15-year-old son who has cerebral palsy, he has a wife, this guy's about his late 40s, early 50s, and uh, his wife unexpectedly is with child. And so he's like, oh great. And then to top it off, he finds out, right after she finds out she's pregnant, that he has terminal cancer. So it sounds like a fun show, right? And so this is where this guy is in his life at this point. And so he's trying to figure out, how am I going to be able to bankroll my family? And he feels like he really has no options other than to become a drug dealer. Okay, now that makes sense. So this is just sort of logical. And so he becomes a, again, I'm not recommending this, but he becomes a meth cook. And so it's just a, it's just a strange deal, but it looks like it's all working out well at the beginning of the show. Uh, at the beginning of the show, he begins to make a, just a ton of cash. And he starts saving it up for his family for when he's gone. And then um, he's also able to pay for his treatments. Things are looking good. But as the show progresses, what you find out is this really nice, sweet guy who's a chemistry teacher in high school. By the end of the show, he is a hardened criminal. And you just sort of look at that and you start thinking, how did he move from that point of being a nice teacher to where he is today? How, how did he go from, from being this nice man to a hardened criminal? As I thought about that, I thought, now that was sort of the inspiration for this series we're going to be going through. Because I think there are a lot of us like this. Not that y'all are a bunch of meth cooks, I'm not saying that. But that, that somehow we have these great designs for our lives. You know, from the beginning we think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a great father. I'm going to be a great businessman. Or I'm going to be an inspirational person, a bunch of kids. And all these different things. But then through a series of choices that we make in life, you know, we sort of end up in a place that we didn't plan on being. And I really think there's a lot of us who ask the question every once in a while, how did I get here? You know, how, how did I end up in this place where I am today? And why am I here? And so that was sort of the inspiration for what we're going to be doing through the month of April. That we're going to be looking throughout Scripture and we're going to see people in the Bible who broke bad. And it's my hope that we're going to be able to learn from their lives and from their mistakes how we can avoid some of the similar pitfalls that they fell into. And so today in our Scripture, we're going to be looking at one of the 
probably the greatest king in all of Israel's history. We're going to look at a man named David. Now, whenever you think of David, what is one of the first stories that you think of? Okay, there's three of you that know. All right, yeah, Goliath. David and Goliath. Have y'all, do, we need to, do I need to tell you all that story again? You know, Goliath was a giant. David was an underdog. And so we still use this analogy today. In college football, you know, we talk about it's a battle between David and Goliath. And almost everybody loves to root for the, for the underdog. We like to root for David. And in this story, it's such a neat story because the underdog wins. David wins the battle. But in our text today, we're going to see that there was a time in David's life when the giant beat David. And that giant that beat David was this relationship with a woman named Bathsheba. And so we're going to look in 2 Samuel chapter 11 in just a few moments. And while you're getting ready to look there, just to give you some interesting background information, at this point in David's life when the story's written, most scholars believe that David was in his early 50s. And so David had been the king of Israel for over two decades. He's known, he's, I mean, at this point, he's the greatest king ever, uh, Israel has ever known. He is a very gifted man. Um, at the beginning, you look at David's life, you'll see that whenever King Saul, who was the king before him, got into these deep, dark, depressive moods, he would call David in to play a harp in order to soothe him. So David was a gifted musician. Don't you hate people like that? You know, just people that are just so gifted. And he wasn't just like a, a gifted musician. He was also a warrior, a gifted warrior. And we know the story about David and Goliath, but he's also this great military tactician. And Israel, during this time of his reign, is conquering more territories than ever before. And then he becomes king. I mean, everything is looking good for this guy. The guy that would be very easy not to like because everything he touches is golden. But then he looks down and he sees a woman named Bathsheba. He's tempted and instead of running away from temptation, he dives into it and he ends up in a place he never thought he'd be. So here's the question. How did he end up there? How did he move from being this good, godly man to being a man who was sinning against God blatantly? Well, we're just going to see a few ways that David ended up where he was. And first of all, David ended up where he was because of complacency. David got to a point in his life where he, was very, where he just got complacent in, in who he was. If you look in verse number 1, it says, In the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, if you look in verse number 2 in our text, it says it is springtime. Now, this was important in ancient days because whenever armies would go out to fight, they would always fight in the springtime for a very simple reason. It's when the weather's starting to get good, right? I mean, right now, I'm enjoying this weather. It's getting very good. Now, they did not fight in the winter. And in Israel, the winter is the wet season. And so to transport troops, to ride horses and chariots, that meant you'd have to ride through mud. And so it was very difficult to travel. And so in our text, it says it's springtime. In other words, it's wartime. But there's something very important in that verse. Right after it says it's springtime, what's the very next thing that it says? Y'all get to answer here. 
when kings go off to war. Now that is, that's a very important part right here. King, it makes sense. Kings would go fight with their, with their armies back in this day. The reason why they did that, a couple reasons, they provide leadership, but it also was a great morale booster for the soldiers. When they looked over and they saw their king, it let them know, hey, this battle's important. What we're doing matters. We need to be here because our king's here. Now, Israel is fighting against the Ammonites. Y'all, if you're getting bored, just hang in there with me because it gets real interesting in a minute. Okay, so he's fighting with the Ammonites. And that's a side note. My very first sermon I preached in seminary, this is not in my notes. I love history so much. I, I, was, I was preaching my first sermon. They video you, and the worst crowd to preach in front of is a bunch of preachers because they're grading you, and it's awful. And so uh, anyway, after it's over, my professor said, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. Seriously, he said that. And I was like, well, thank you. I'm, I love your encouragement. And he just said, you talk, you talk way too much about history. So I might be there right now, but I promise I'm getting ready to get out of it. So anyway, Israel's fighting the Ammonites. Uh, the kingdom of Ammon is across the Jordan River. It's in modern-day Jordan. What had happened is the king died, and so David sent some emissaries there in order to pay their condolences to this king that had died. Well, the king's son became the new king, and he said these guys are spies. They treated them like dirt, and they kicked them out, and Israel goes to war with them. And Israel is just absolutely kicking their tail. And they drive them all the way back to their capital city of Reba, right to the city gates. Now remember, when do they fight? Spring. Winter starts to come. They back out. David was with them. They back out and they go back to Jerusalem. And they're going to conclude, you know, they're like, we're going to finish this thing next spring. So this is where we are in our text. But the next time they go, after spring is over, the next time they go, Guess who doesn't go to war with his men? It's David. Now, what this, you know, it says that it is natural for kings to go to war with their men. Why did he not go to war with them this time? And I think we can try to surmise a couple of things. I think one of the reasons why is that David very simply could have looked back and said, you know what? I mean, they, we, we already drove them back to their city gates. I don't need to go. They're just doing mop up duty at this point. David, remember, he's in his 50s at this point. He's probably thinking, hey, this is a young man's game. You know, I've already served my time. Let these guys do it. And so in essence, what is happening here is David is becoming complacent. See, he's, he's had so much success in his life, and success is really interesting. You know, we strive after it, but once we achieve some success it becomes very easy to begin to try to live off of it. And to say, you know, I don't have to work as hard anymore. You know, I've, I mean, I've already paid my dues. I've already done all these things. I'm just going to kick back and just sort, sort of enjoy the fruit of my labor. And in a sense, that, that would sort of be like me saying, you know, I know I've, I've run marathons before. I haven't, but be, act like I have. I've run marathons before. And so this next time I run one, I'm, I'm not going to train. You know, I've already put in my time. I'm just going to wait for the race, and I'm going to get involved in the race. How well am I going to perform? Not very well, more than likely. You see, training, the training part is, is very important. It, it builds, builds me up, and whenever I'm not training, then all that training I've done before, it begins to sort of atrophy away, and so I might, I might not perform, and more likely, I'm not going to perform as well than when I was actually training. And I've seen this happen in people's lives over and over again. You know, but, but with people that I know well, that are my friends, with people in the church, 
I see them, they say, you know, I've, I've, I've been a, a, a godly man. I've, I've, I've come to the church. I've been faithful in my relationship with God. But, you know, now I'm going to, I think I'm going to sort of live off my past. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of do what I want to. There's some things that I've been wanting to do by myself for a while. And so what happens is after a period of time, there's these temptations that begin to come that we used to deflect fairly easily. But because we're not in the same kind of spiritual shape as we used to be in, those temptations begin to overwhelm us. Before long, we begin to entertain things in our lives that we never entertained before. And we become complacent, and that's when we get in trouble. read an interesting article by a guy named Ronald Meredith. He wrote a book. It was called Hurrying Big for Little Reasons. Uh, he had a farm, and at his farm he had, uh, he had this pond, and he had put some ducks uh, stock ducks on his, on his pond, his, his farm, and uh, he would feed them corn every day, and he said, but when spring came, he said, the migration fl- flew right over where he lived, and he said, there's all these ducks and geese that were flying overhead, he said, I got nervous, he said, I'd invested in all these ducks, and I started thinking, what if they join the migration, and he said, so he ran outside, and all the geese are flying over, and he watched his ducks, and he said, the ducks, they started making a, a racket, so they start, you know, quacking. He said, they're flapping their wings and kind of hopping up and down. And he said, he sat there and he said, all the geese just keep flying by. And he said, but his ducks, not one of them took flight. He said, they just sort of made a ruckus and they just stayed there. And he said, it was then that he realized they had made a decision a long time ago. We ain't ever leaving here because we know there's corn in the barn. And he said, you know what, from that whole experience, he said, there was a spiritual lesson that I learned there. He said, temptation is always enjoyed at the price of losing your capacity for flight. And I thought, man, that is a spiritual lesson. When we become complacent and we decide that we're going to go after my wants and my desires and just sort of take a break from the things of God, as we become susceptible to temptation and we end up losing our capacity for flight. This is what's going on in David's life. David has been flying high with God for years. And then he takes a break. And then he ends up later on in his life saying, how did I get here? How did he get here? He was complacent. How did David arrive at this position in his life? Well, he was also careless. It's very careless. Look with me in verse number two. It says, one evening David got up from his bed, strolled around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. And so David sent someone to inquire about her, and he reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite. Okay, at this point, where should David have been? He should have been at war. He should have been with his men. He should have been leading them to victory. Now, where was David? He's back in Jerusalem. He's back in his palace. Now, it's not like David is staying back in his palace because he had some pressing business to attend to. It's not like he's like, guys, I'd love to be with you, but there's some major conferences that are coming up, and I've got to deal with some stuff. You say, how do you know that? If you look in verse number 2, y'all tell me, where is David in verse number 2? He's in bed. And now I have nothing against getting a good night's rest. But David is piddling around. He's bored. 
he gets up. He's like, yeah, I don't have anything to do. I'm going to go walk around on my balcony. And so he starts walking around on his balcony. Now, it, it, where King David lived, it would have been at the top of the mountain. He would have been looking down. He would have been looking over the ancient city or the city of Jerusalem at this time. And whenever he looked down, the Bible says that he saw a woman bathing. And then it says, and she was a pretty woman. Okay, that ain't good. David looks down, and he is in a place where he should have never been in the first place. And I thought, man, is that just like the devil? The devil puts stuff out there before us. Whenever we become complacent, he knows we're next steps, we're going to be careless. And he puts a bait out there for us to see if we're actually going to bite into it. And I look at David, and I begin to realize, David, he went right after it. He should have responded like Joseph in the Old Testament. If you remember the story of Joseph, he was a slave, first of all. Potiphar was his master, and Potiphar had a wife who was hot after David. And she came up to David as he's working, and she says, come sleep with me. And she asked him over and over again, what did David do? I mean, excuse me, what did Joseph do? Did Joseph say, let me pray about that? Say, you know, this is uh, it's kind of interesting that you would ask me this, but you know, I just really need to think about this. No, you know what Joseph did? He ran. He got out of there. He was not careless. And you know, whenever we don't immerse ourselves in the things of God, and whenever we're not surrounding ourselves with a support group of believers and worshiping our God, guys, it is then we become careless. We get in trouble. There's a Christian artist, a singer, he's really popular, I guess back in maybe in the 80s and 90s, it was Steve Green. And uh, Steve Green talked about how when they'd go on tour, he got to know a lot of the, uh, the guys who did the lights and sound for him. He said they became friends and he would talk to the guys who would hang up the lights and the rafters. He said, man, you guys are crazy. He said, I mean, y'all get up there and you're like 100 feet above the ground. Don't y'all get scared about falling? And they said, you know, we, we, we know that we need to be careful. They said, that doesn't really bother us. They said, but what does bother us is there's some places where we play. And he said, they have this acoustic ceiling or tiling. And he said, it's, it's way up. He said, but when we're working up there, working on the sound and putting in the lights, he said, that tiling is like two or three feet below us. And he said, and we get this false sense of security that, that we can relax. And if we do fall, we're going to land on that tiling. We'll be okay. Well, the tiling, it's just... It's just false tiling. If you hit it, you're going to keep going on down. And he said, so you know, we have this false sense of security when that tiling is there. We wish it wasn't there. And again, I thought, you know, that, that's exactly what Satan does. Satan is in the business of trying to move you and me into a false sense of security. Where we think, you know what, if I, if I fall, if I step into sin, it's, it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that damaging. And no wonder the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 9, it says, resist him, the devil, standing firm in the faith. David had false tiles that were right underneath him, and he was thinking, you know what, I've been a, I've been a good guy for a long time. I mean, what kind of damage is going to be done if I just sort of go my own way? Now, at this point, David hasn't fallen all the way into sin. If you look in verse number 3, David's just, he's still flirting with it. He sees this woman, and then David asks his, one of the men that works for him, he says, who is, who 
is my, neighbor, my woman neighbor down there? And you know, that can kind of seem innocent. Like, I just want to get to know my neighbor better. But you remember, what's playing in David's mind? That woman was bathing, and she's good looking. And so he asked the question, who is that woman down there? And I thought, man, that is, the Bible is so accurate. In, in James 1, 14 and 15, it says, Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. When we move away from where God wants us to be, we become careless and we become less vigilant in staying in spiritual shape. And I never buy it when people tell me, you know, I really don't need the church or I really don't need to know what God's Word says. I can figure out how to live life on my own. I don't need any help. Here's what I, here's what I know about me. Whenever I don't have the things of God serving as an anchor in my life, my natural tendency is to you know when you go to the beach, you ever been out the beach before and you know your, your wife or your kids are right in front of you and you're in the water and then you're sort of playing around for a while and then you look up and they're all the way over there. And you're like, how did that happen? That's the tide is pulling you. Yeah, it's just sort of, a, sort of a drift. You know, if it was really sudden, we would get out. But it's just sort of, sort of catches you by surprise. You look up and you think, how did I get here? You've allowed the tide to pull you. When you're not anchored down, you get pulled. Now, if you're, going to, if you're going to recover from that, what do you do? The best thing to do is get out and walk back up to where your family is. And that way, you're back where you need to be. If you try to swim against the current, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to get back where you need to be. David, he got careless and he drifted. And he ended up somewhere he never wanted to be in the first place. So what happened in David's life? Well, he ended up where he was because of complacency, because of carelessness. And here's the last one. He ended up where, where he didn't want to be because of compromise. Begin to compromise. In verses 4 and 5, it says, David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Now, she'd been, she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. And afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. Okay, David, he asks about the lady. He says, go get her, bring her here. They bring Bathsheba to him. It says, the next verse, he took her to his bed and he committed adultery with her. Alright, this you know, here's what's so strange. David, did you know this? David in the New Testament, David is called a man after God's own heart. Now, don't ever think that you can get to a place where you're above it. Where you say, you know what? I'll never do something like that. Let me tell you something. I guarantee you, David was a much better man than me. David, a man after God's own heart. And yet he ends up here? Yeah, David is the guy who wrote many of the Psalms that we like to read. Psalm 11911. David wrote, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What does that mean? David knew God's word. What does God's word have to say about adultery? The seventh commandment. Y'all know that one? Thou shalt not commit adultery. David knew God's word, and yet here he is. 
Now, how did he get there? Here's what I believe. I believe David had to get to a point where he began to compromise. What, what, did, he, what did he do? I, I think he began to compromise in his mind. You know what? I've been a good guy for a long time. I've, I've honored God. I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to step back, just take a little bit of a break. I'm not going to be as serious as I have been about the things of God. And I've seen many people do this. You know, a lot of people who began to take a break and, and they began to make decisions that are ungodly in their, in their marriage and in their lifestyles. And then they'll, I'll talk, and I will talk to people and, and, and some of the things I'll hear people say to me is like, well, you know what? I mean, I know this isn't, you know, basically the most ideal thing, but God wants me to be happy. Or another one is, you know, I know this isn't right, but, you know, in the long run, this is going to be best for my family. Guys, let me tell you something. God's number one priority for your life and my life is not for you to be happy. Do you know that? You're not going to read anywhere in the Bible where it says God, God says, I want you to be happy. You know what God says? I want you to be obedient. I want you to be obedient. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now you might say, hey, listen, this is my life. I can do whatever I want. This is my life. If you are a believer, it is not your life. It's not yours. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. If you're a believer, you don't belong to you. You don't live for you. I don't live for me. I am to live for Jesus. Because I'm His. In 1996, uh, Miss Venezuela achieved her lifelong dream of becoming Miss Universe. I don't know how you dream about that. I'm not against pageants, but I... I, I, that's never been my dream. Mine's, mine's been to be Mr. Universe. Um, so anyway, so she, she achieved her lifelong dream. She gets crowned the, the you know, I, I don't know, Miss Universe. I don't know what that means exactly. But anyway, so she's an attractive lady. They interview her afterwards, say, well, you, you've achieved this dream of yours. What are you going to do now? And she had a really interesting comment. You can look it up. I, I looked it up. It's, she said, I'm going to eat, 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 and sleep. And she did. Um, within two months, she'd put, in over 40, she'd put on over 40 pounds. Now, okay, maybe she needed to gain 40 pounds, I don't know, but she had a swimsuit contract, and so she was supposed to start shooting after like a couple of months. When they saw her, they were not happy because she had gotten very complacent and she had gotten out of shape. Okay, in another vein, this is David. I'm going to take a break. David takes a break, and so what does he do? He laid aside his role as leader. He laid aside his role as husband and father, and he laid aside his role as a spiritual leader. And he, he, has, he commits, commits adultery. And he doesn't stop there. He tries to cover it up. He takes Bathsheba's husband. He puts him at the front line so he's going to be killed. So David becomes a murderer on top of everything else that he's already done at, at this point. So what's the result? Broken relationship with God, broken family, loss of respect with everybody that's around him. And David comes to a place in his life later on when he begins to ask, how did I get here? You know, when did I begin to break bad? What happened? Well, what happened is what happens to so many of us is complacency, carelessness, and compromise. And some of you might be there today.
might be in a place where, where you've been very careless, you've, you've compromised, you're, you're complacent, and you look at some things that now have a grip on your life that you know are holding you back from where God wants you to be. And there's a lot of different things that it could be. I mean, it could be, it could be addictions, it could be alcohol, drugs, pornography, relationships that you shouldn't even be messing around with, anger, bitterness. It could be a whole host of that. I might not even mention it. It doesn't matter really what it is, but you just know it's got a grip on me, and you might be at a place in your life where you say, I need freedom. I need freedom from this. You know, David finally came to a place where he was like, oh, this is not good. I, I need freedom in my life. And so David prayed this prayer in Psalm 51. He said, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. You might say, how do I, how do I get back from the drift? best thing to do is move out of it. He said, what does that mean? First of all, I believe it begins with you asking God for forgiveness and then repentance. Moving out of those areas that have a grip in your life. Say, I need to remove myself from the situation so that like, like the tide that pulls me away, I can get out of the tide and begin my journey back to God. And that's where you begin to pray a prayer like Psalm 51. God, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. God created me a clean heart. Because God, if I don't have it, my life will be destroyed. I will break bad. God, it will destroy me. And it can destroy your family. See, we're going to go through this series because I believe that we can learn from the mistakes of the people in Scripture to help us stay on the path that God desires for us to be.